Hello and a very warm welcome to This Woman's Work, a space where you can hear and read about some amazing women, the fantastic jobs they do and the paths that have led them to where they are today. I'm here today with Natasha. Hello, Natasha. Hello. <laughs> Could you tell the lovely listener what it is you do for a living? Yes. Multifaceted. So, I, I am multifaceted, yeah. So it is quite difficult to try and um, put a label on myself. I've always struggled with that. And actually, anybody who follows me will know that my Insta bio has probably changed about a million times just in the last 12 months. But I'm currently <laughs> labelling myself a self-love coach and holistic therapist. Fantastic. Okay. okay. Got to go full into that. Okay. But before we do, I always like to go back and mm-hmm. talk about little Natasha. Okay. And we go, little Natasha, school, college, what were you like? What were you into? Okay. So, <laughs> little Natasha, I was really into sports. So, I was an athlete at school, um, really into like sprinting, running, was part of athletics clubs, like netball. That was my, my thing. Um, I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go into like little Natasha, but a lot of that was to do with like trying to curry favour like with my my dad, because actually like the only thing I was really praised for was how good I was at sports, essentially. So, you know, my first business was as a personal trainer. And when I actually look over my life, it couldn't have really gone any other way, Um, you know, because a lot of what I chose to do um, and probably still choose to do as an adult is rooted in you know like those early childhood experiences but actually a lot of my early years were around trying to prove like see I am good enough like by being the best and by being good at sport so I think as children like we very you know we're very quick to learn what gets us what we would desire yeah you know and it's like oh all I desire like as most of us do yeah yeah is our parents love and attention and and recognition and that was the only time I actually really got it from him in a positive way so and how did that so what were your what were your friends like at school then and how did they react to all of that were they all equally really sporty so you were in a kind of similar group or no like not not really. I mean, I don't really remember very much, actually, like, of my early, like, childhood, because a lot of it was just spent trying to survive, you know. Right, yeah. I had a very violent, very abusive, you know, upbringing. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes the brain blocks out a lot of things, you know, and I often... I've done a lot of work around, like, past trauma and that kind of thing, and I've sat with a lot of counsellors and psychotherapists and mindset coaches and behavioural experts and that kind of thing, and actually you know there is research to show that our brains develop differently you know Mm. from these formative like experiences so it's like whilst a lot of my friends were just like playing out and you know pretending they were in girl bands and doing all of that stuff it's like my brain didn't have that freedom to just be a child my brain was like okay when I get home from school like what am I going to be walking on hyper alert yeah like hyper alert and I actually described my childhood as like living on a knife edge you know like just walking a tightrope and, you know, how the day was going to go was never in my control. It was always out of my, my hands. Um, okay, so did you go to college or...? Yeah, so I went to college um, and I started... I went in the September and I dropped out by the January, so I started, like, studying my A-levels. Yeah, I think I was, was that doing... sporting-wise or was it more academic? No, so yeah. more, more like, academic, so I was always, like, interested in, like, human behaviour and, like, the human mind and understanding and I think that probably does again stem from the childhood that I had like 
why would you be a parent and treat your child you know like you're looking for answers like why has my life been like this because actually up until about the age of 10 or 11 like I believed everybody's life was like my home life like we didn't we didn't talk about it and it was actually when a friend you know kind of (laughs) said to me like we were we were just being a little bit mischievous at school I can't remember what we were doing and I said something like oh god you know like my dad would beat me if he found out and she went your dad would beat you and I was just like yeah and it was just in that moment the way she looked I just knew like oh my goodness like maybe I've said something like I I, I, I shouldn't yeah and that's when it all made sense you know like those things that you get told that I say you I I I'm gonna own that I used to get told at home you know what happens in this house stays in this house we don't talk our business you know those kind of things and it was like in that moment the way she looked at me it just like all made sense like oh my goodness and then she said like in a you know really concerned fashion like what he would really like do something to you and I just went oh no you know like I'm just sort of saying you know and it was like in that moment you know when like then the lies began because I understood like oh wow this could get me into a lot of trouble if I yeah Yeah. and yeah it could get me into a lot of trouble so I think you know like I chose a psychology A level law A level English um, and you did want to do that is properly trying to seek answers and justice justice, isn't it justice Yeah. yeah and actually I did like a values elicitation like practice with a coach a few years ago and like justice is like one of my you know like top values yeah. and it's like oh you know and I think that's again it's led me to doing the kind of work that I do and it's like whilst I call myself a self-love coach because I believe self-love is the essence of what runs through everything I offer it it is just wanting <laughs> and I know it's not possible for everything to be just and fair and right for everybody yeah but I do believe that the more that we can tap into our own, you know, sense of self-love and self-worth and, yeah, and like, sense deser- of, you know, yeah. deservedness, like, the more that we can live, like, the life that we actually deserve, you yeah. know, that we, that feels just and right to live. Yeah. You know, rather, rather than the one that was almost sort of forced upon yeah, us. Yeah, or the one that's expected of us. And yeah. actually, you know, there is a book and... Um, I think it's like the, you know the seven regrets of the dying and it's like that nurse Ooh. who worked with um oh, yes. like, is it yeah. palliative care is yeah. that what they call it and you know like the number one regret of the dying is that they didn't live a life that felt true and authentic to them yeah. you know they they lived a life really for others and to be judged by others and based on what others thought yeah so I dropped out of college primarily because a you know my home environment was not conducive to to studying um, but what's interesting about that? So I went to college in the se- uh, September, turned seventeen in the October, and my dad left like literally a few months after I dropped out of college. Wow! You know, when you've <laughs> been waiting for this moment like my entire life. <laughs> yeah. But then he he like he left. Um, so you know, with hindsight, I look back and it's like, well, I could have carried on studying had I known that you know in the end I would have been able to you know have that peace at yeah. you know and tranquility at home. But actually, I worked, like, from the age of 12. So I decided that, actually, I was just going to go to work and just earn money to basically get out of the house so I could be in a position to, you know, to move out. So, yeah, I just moved through, like, really the corporate world, moved into, you know... It it didn't matter what job I had. I was always like, okay, like, I've nailed, like, this part of the job. Like, what's the next thing? You know, what's the next promotion? Like, how can I climb the ladder? How can I... 
and so I'm still think, always really driven really yeah. focused how can I be the best like what can I do next like what's the next skill I can acquire because I was judging my worth based on like how much money could I earn how high could I climb the ladder what other string could I add to my bow um and then I moved to a different company and I was like, oh, you know, that whole like, oh, I'm earning more than my age. Like I'm winning at life. Like yeah. my salary is higher than my, you know, age. And then just to sit, you know, I I bought a house with a local boy and, you know, just falling yeah, into yeah. that, you know, yeah. living like 10 but minutes what, down the road. successful, yeah. Yeah. Or what we, you thought was success it, looked like. It's like, oh, I'm like 22. I own my own home. We've got two cars on the drive. We're both yeah. earning more than our age. And like, ah. Oh, but there was a part of me inside where it was like, if this is how my life is now going to pan out for the next like 40 odd years until I retire, like shoot me now. I had the house and the job and all yeah. the things. Um, and then what happened is my cousin died on my 23rd birthday oh, and I'd already been feeling, like I said, like, God, is this all there is? Because yeah. like I've ticked the boxes of what apparent success looks like and this does not feel like success for me. And then I was out for my birthday dinner and then my mum just called and basically told me that my cousin had died. Um, and he was like 27, had three young children. And I just remember like, I just got up and I just walked like out of the restaurant. And it was like almost like in that moment, and I'm not saying like we were like really close or anything, you know, like that, but it was like almost in that moment, I just knew that my life would just never be the same. Yeah. I just knew I just knew it was just like a pivotal moment and it's not like I you know it was the first death I'd experienced I hadn't you know like I think I'd gone through you know like probably lost about seven people close to me like in the eight years prior to that right you know like one of my first boyfriends had committed suicide my nan um my nan died my granddad died my uncle died like again on my birthday like so many things had happened you know like in that sort of seven to eight years but it was like something in his death sparked something in me. And maybe it was the age, you know, because there was only like four or five years, you know, like between us. And I just thought life is so short. We're all out here talking about, oh, could do this, might do that, waiting for the time to be right, waiting for this. And I do believe, you know, everything has its timing. But I also believe actually a lot of that is just us telling ourselves a story so that we can procrastinate and put blocks, you know, like in our own way. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't necessarily feel safe or have the resources to go, you know, go do it. And I just thought, no, there's not a chance. Like, I'm just not living out another day, you know, like this. So, um, you know, within a couple of weeks of like the funeral, I'd left my partner. I was like back at home. Wow. Yeah, I'd gone home which was, like, quite hard, you know, like, going back to my family home where there wasn't very good memories there at all. Leaving this, you know, like, nice home and all of this stuff that I'd built up and I was just like, I need to travel. So he died on my birthday, which was the 30th of October. By the beginning of December, I was back home and then basically, I think, in the March or April, I'd gone to Thailand. So and how did you know? So how did you know people. where you were gonna go, or what was what was the plan, or was there no plan? So I didn't have any friends that were like me. You know, yeah. like nobody wanted to travel. Nobody wanted to just go see the world and like get out of Peterborough. And I, you know, I very quickly just realised you're gonna have to do it by yourself because you're trying to be like everybody else. You've ticked all of these boxes. You are unhappy. You are unsatisfied. Like it's time to go it alone. So actually, I found a like a company that did like organise, you know, travel. Brilliant, yeah. And I found that actually I went on this kind of like package thing and it was supposed to be like for six weeks in Thailand. 
and a lot I was 23 at this point and there was actually only a few of us that were like a little bit older most people like 18 19 on gap years funded by like mummy and daddy and I just found myself in this situation where I was just like geez like these (laughs) like these are just like everything I've been through yeah these are just not my people either but yeah I just got to like the local bus station I didn't know where I was going I was just like ticket to Bangkok because I thought once I get to Bangkok there's a lot of you know like English speakers and I can navigate my way from there and then I ended up speaking to a friend in the UK and she was like oh my friend's in Thailand at the moment do you want me to put you in touch with her and I think sometimes like if you're in the UK it'd be like oh well that'll be a bit weird wouldn't it like oh can I come and hang around with you but when you're on the other side of the world and you're alone yeah yeah (laughs) I'm like that cool I'll give her a call I'm like hey (laughs) and actually like at the moment like you know she lives over in Dubai like my friend Donna and like we speak you know like most days now and this is like 16 17 years on you know um so yeah like ended up traveling all over like with her went to like Bali and Laos and Vietnam and oh my gosh so the universe really did have your back because you then went on a whole way better journey yeah Yeah. so came Mm. back moved to Manchester Oh, wow. Worked for a law whoa, whoa, firm. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> How did we end up going, I'm going to move to Manchester then? So what, you had? You were still in Thailand and you'd planned this before you left Thailand or...? No, so I came, I came back, um, I actually met somebody in Bali and I was looking for a way out of Peterborough. Like I was just looking for a way out of like, you know, like my home city. Yeah. Met this guy, deep down, again, like our intuition, it doesn't lie. Like when you're tuned into your body, your body knows like he was not the one. Yeah. But I grasped onto him, like my ticket out of here. Yeah, yeah. So like within six months of coming back from traveling, like I'd moved to Manchester, but even then- So he was from there, was he? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he was from Manchester. And even then it was like, I knew I needed to set myself up with a good job and be in a financial situation that I could support myself living there. Because even then I knew it wasn't going to work. Yeah. And, you know, like, lo and behold, like, we moved into this, like, lovely, you know, city centre, like, luxury apartment. And again, got the job, got the apartment on the outside, like, got the relationship, this nice looking guy, he's doing his thing, he's successful. But actually behind closed doors, you know, and again, it does link back to childhood unless you really do that deep inner work very early on which most of us aren't even aware it's available you know until we kind of like reach a rock bottom or something's got to change we end up often perpetuating the patterns you know like of our parents yeah so you know like behind closed doors I just found myself in a very you know I I don't want to say like violent I mean there were definitely moments Yeah. yeah but just like that horrible toxic just toxic cycle yeah. of just being like spoken to like shit, treated like shit, not valued, but treated horrifically. You know, to you, though, uh, wasn't yeah, it? Like, you, you were like, oh, this is familiar, yeah. And, and pretty much like just begging, you know, like begging for like scraps of love and like mm. see me like I am good enough. And I look back and I have to laugh because I'm like, sometimes I wish I could just like teleport back in time, you know, and go back yeah. into these moments and just say, do you know what, mate? Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> like, instead of just being there like, oh, please love me. Please yeah. see me. Please like, but you you're know, trying to correct because this is what someone said to me recently is that you get into those relationships, you recreate mm. your childhood or your relationships because it's familiar and, you're, yeah. and it's uncomfortable, but familiar. But now you've got, as an adult, you've got a chance to correct it. When you, like you were saying that you had no power as a child, whereas you you kind of, you're feeling you've now got a little bit of power. So you feel like you can correct it. But of course it never does, does it? Because it's just not right. It's just, yeah, it's just so, so damaging. 
so yeah, when I was in Manchester, I don't know how old I'd have been, maybe 26-ish, uh, I started going to yoga. So up until that point, all of my sports and all of my training that I involved myself in was very masculine you know like how hard can I go how much weight can I lift you know like how heavy like oh you know a lot of women can't even do a press up and I'm here doing 30 you know like like full press ups (laughs) yeah you know and and feeling like oh that was my strength you know look how strong I am yeah and actually like I think the the fitness like once I started seeing myself doing things in the gym that did start to cross over into, like, a mental strength in the outside world. Like, oh, look, I'm doing things that I never believed my body was capable of. Yeah, okay. So now I'm able to do things that I just didn't believe I was capable of, you know, like, in real life, like, outside of the gym. Yeah. And then I started going to yoga, and that was, like, my first kind of, like, exploration into, like, living more softly. Because I thought those kind of things were just... <laughs> sounds so awful no, to say. No, I know what you're going to say, yeah. Just like weak people and yeah. soft people. And I, I didn't cry. I was like so hard. And, you know, people who know me now, they'd just be like, God, can't ever imagine you being like that. Yeah. But I was like an ice queen. Like emotions were for weak people. Like like the whole man up. Like what are you, cry- what are you crying for? Like get yeah. over it. It's not that big a deal. Like just move on. Um... And then I went to yoga and that was the first thing that really started to like, ah, oh, I actually like being slow yeah. and intentional and being soft. And almost being in your own mind a little and bit. And just being with self. And how nice does it feel to actually do something that is nourishing to my body, not punishing? Okay. Because I wasn't going to the gym because I loved myself. I was still going with that mindset of like imagining that my dad's watching, you know, my body's tired and I'm exhausted and I'm aching. And it's like, oh, well, if you don't do another five pull-ups, then you're weak. Like, you know, like, what would your dad think? And and then just finding that fire to, like, ah, I'm going to do the five pull-ups. Like, yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah, my yoga teacher, Nikki, like, she was my first experience of, like, an embodiment, you know, just, like, somebody who's just, like, an embodiment of just living in, like, their authentic, like, living in their truth. And then she put me in touch with her, um, you know, Reiki master in India. And then I ended up going over to India to do like my Reiki one, like up in the mountains. And then it was, you know, I came out of the mountains, like attuned to Reiki. And I was like, I am Jesus Christ. I want to just heal, you know, like the world and put hands on everybody. And uh, yeah, so like that, it kind of like went from there. So Reiki was like the first thing that I did. And, you know, over the years I ended up becoming like doing Reiki two and becoming a Reiki master but at this point, you're still working at the law for, for, firm in the day. Yeah. So then, wh- what next? This is what I keep going with. What next? Because there just is multiple what next, isn't there? So what next is I got pregnant. Yeah. Uh, before I even had a chance, actually, to process it. Like, within 72 hours, I'd got high premises. I was being sick, like, 40 times a day. And wow. Yeah, yeah, it was just, like, absolutely horrific. Like, the whole pregnancy oh. was, was rough. And then I ended up having an emergency. So... Everybody was like, oh, you've had such a horrific pregnancy. Like, the labour's going to be smooth as anything. I mean, it started smoothly in the pool. I was doing my hypnobirthing, breathing my baby down. My lotus flower was opening and all of the things. And then it just went horrifically wrong. Like, she wasn't crowning. She was back to back. You know, her neck was, like, in a funny position. Yeah, she was getting distressed. And then before I knew it, like, buttons had just been pressed. And it's like, we literally need to get this baby out. Like, her heart rate has just dropped so rapidly. Um, 
and then I went home and like within I think she was like seven days old I just knew I wasn't well and it was crazy like how rapidly things just went downhill it was like I went into hospital and they did my stats and my blood pressure was through the roof my pulse was like 140 and this is like at rest like laying on the bed my temperature was like and I didn't even realize like any of this I had sepsis I had sepsis. So they said you should be home in a day or two, two weeks and surgery later. (gasps) Yeah, it was... So they said, (gasps) after like two days when I was not really getting any better, you know, and then the timeline starts to shift. Oh, we might just need another day or it might be three or four days. And then it starts being like, we don't, we don't know. And then like within 48 hours, I was down on like a side room on, you know, like in a critical care, like side room again with an A my daughter because they didn't want to separate us i'm still there trying to like breastfeed yeah. i'm like expressing i'm like every and i just remember a nurse coming in you know a midwife coming in and she just said i can give you a tablet that will just dry your milk up because yeah. i'm here trying to be like a good new mum and do right by my baby but like i'm literally hooked up to drink i'm like so ill oh, and she's like look you've breastfed her for like the first you know at this point nearly two weeks of her yeah. life like she's got that first yeah they do say that yeah 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 it's almost like the first few days, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like, where... my nipples look like they'd just been in a house fire. You know, like, every my whole body was just, like, gone to shit, basically. And I was like, oh, I don't want to because I want to do right by my baby. And she said, what baby needs is a healthy and well mum. So I yeah. took the tablet, obviously felt really sad. And then it just got to the point where I was, like, catheterized. I had, like, a line sewn into one of my veins, a drip oh, in the back of God. my other hand. I couldn't even, like, pick her up. I'd get pumped full of the drugs and like feel like almost human and then it was like the minute they started wearing off my temperature was like spiking up my blood like nothing was really working they said like we're gonna have to open you up and like you know find out what's really going on so I went into the surgery they basically cut me open I was like so infected I had like hematomas um like just so much infection from the sea from the cesarean from from the c-section and yeah then I threw myself into becoming a bodybuilder <laughs> oh, but at what point though how old was was your daughter then um so she was like eight months old okay so you'd hit you you were a little point. bit better now so yeah I was, I was a little bit better then but when I look back but I guess still off on mat leave then so I was still off on mat leave um so actually what so after going through all of that I realized that I didn't want to go back to like the corporate world yeah so I was like right what what do I love like what am I good at and obviously I always loved going to the gym I loved sport and I was like oh I'm going to be a personal trainer so when she was about six months old I started doing like a you know six month personal training qualification and then a few things happened at the company I was working for which just meant that yeah like ties were basically just severed you know like anyway they hadn't necessarily been the most understanding during my pregnancy so a few things had had gone down which meant you know like we parted ways and um you know I had enough money behind me to pretty much take almost like the first two years you know like with her um so yeah I started setting up a personal training business in Manchester did a bodybuilding competition like all of these things and um but yeah again I didn't do it out of a love for myself I did it out of like I must get that body back I must you know like a point to prove like still yeah I've nearly died and I'm still gonna come back like the fucking superhero. 
Yeah. I mean, they're all experiences, you know, and I'm not going to judge myself for them because at the end of the day, I was just working with what was available to me at the time. Like, I didn't know better, you know. Yeah. I just had certain patterns and things that I fell back into because they were safe, they were what I knew, and that's how I got my identity through the repetition of cycle, these certain cycles in my life. Started my... Well, I started my fitness business when she was about two, actually, yeah. but then, like, sort of sidelined it and then resurrected it again, like, in 2018. Okay. So I had a business called Miss Motivator, and, you know, that was really successful. Like, just when the lockdowns hit, I'd got to a point where I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm actually, like, living the dream. I'm working, yeah, like, yeah. maybe, like, 20 hours a week, dropping my own child at school, picking her up, no pre- breakfast clubs, after-school clubs, like, no help. And I'm earning, like, more than I did, working, like, 40 hours a week for a law firm. Like, this is it, girl. You have made it. Yeah, yeah. And then lockdown hit. <laughs> you know, when you're like, you've just got me. When you, yeah. me. Just <laughs> when you think you finally got it together. Yeah. Yeah, so what had really boosted my income was actually going into, like, local businesses yeah. to do, you know, like, um, like, wellbeing days. So, at that point, <laughs> I'd qualified then as like not just a personal trainer and a reiki master but also a sports massage therapist yeah um so i was like combining also fitness yoga so i was just working with businesses finding out like what do your staff need so yeah. i was just like wow like i can't believe like i'm charging like 800 a thousand pound a day like this is wild like yeah. i come from a benefits family i come from never having the right amount of stripes on my leggings you know i've got two or four yeah. but never three <laughs> You know, like being that meal token kid at yeah. school. But like when I look back, like even then I was like entrepreneurial because I'd get that meal token for my dinner and I was like, right, well, this meal token gets me like £2.50s worth of stuff. And there's that kid over there and their parents give them cash. So if I sell them this token for pound fifty, they're okay. getting a quid. I'm getting the cash that I want to then go down the shops with my friends and get a portion of chips and be like everybody else. Okay. You wow. know, so actually... Like, you were learning how to turn your life to, to how you wanted it like, to it's be. It's always yeah. been that way. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, but then, yeah. of course, lockdown happened, and of yeah. course all those businesses... Yeah. Shut up, didn't they? Or everyone started working from home, blah, 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 furlough, everything else. Had to find, like, a way to, yeah. you know, to pivot. So, yeah, pivoted my business online, took all of my, you know, clients online... Um, but also I think what lockdown gave me was just the chance to reflect on you've been going and going and going and going and you haven't really ever stopped to ask yourself like is this making you happy yeah do you enjoy this because I was having that same Sunday feeling that I used to get when I was then going into my corporate jobs about my own business like dreading Monday morning dreading Tuesday morning dreading having to watch another woman step on a scale and measure her worth by a number yeah. you know like watching women like stand and be measured and knowing that they were sucking their belly in like just a little bit like just to drop a half centimetre or mm. you know and knowing that actually the women I was working with a lot of the time the issues were deeper than their weight mm. you know like if you think that losing like that last half a stone or dropping that one dress size is going to magically transform your entire life all the shit that's going down, all of your problems and the way you feel about yourself, you, you got, you know, I never saw it happen, yeah. actually. I'm not no, saying it doesn't no. happen, but I never saw it happen. You know, women would open up to me about their childhoods, about their relationship, about, you know, their relationships with parents, intimate relationships, relationships with their kids, how they got treated at work, you know, yeah, like subtle bullying and yeah. everything. 
And it was like, I'm, the work needs to be deeper. Yeah. You know, like, I want to be the person that takes women into their blind spots. Yeah. You know, into their blind spots, into those shadows. Well, you wanted to take yourself into it yes. as well, didn't you? Yeah. So. And I think actually, you know, again, I can't speak for all coaches, but I know with me, I will often teach or speak on what I also need reminding of mm. and what I know. You know, I'm just able to navigate these things like a lot more quickly now because I've got like such a, you know, breadth of like tools and modalities. And also like I've got some really good friends now mm-hmm. who are, you know, like, who are coaches or who do this like, you know, breath work. And they they have just done that inner work. They know the depth of the the journey like themselves. Yeah. So it's not that superficial like, oh, you'll be okay or maybe you should go to the doctor or you know, like it's not, it's what it's what's actually going on. What is actually yeah. going on? One topic I do want to chat about very quickly, because I'm conscious that um I'm taking up your time here, is your the sexual therapy side. Because I think a lot of women will mm. find that really interesting. So what took you down that part within reason you don't obviously nothing too personal that you don't want to share, but and what did you do and how can you help women in that if you don't mind? Yeah, so I did um, a female sexuality practitioner training last year um, with a lady called Amy White, Temple of the Feminine. She's just incredible, like incredible space holder, like a real pioneer, you know, like in this field of like women's sexuality. And I feel like everything I've done, you know, has just been a step. So you had the personal training and then it was like the body work with the massage. I was already then in the background doing the energy work with the Reiki. Reiki, Yeah. So all of these things. And then I was doing like fitness yoga and then like EFT, which is like tapping and all of these modalities were just like linking in and linking in and linking in. Um, but I wasn't really doing anything that necessarily, you know, like drops us into our heart and into our body. So I then actually came to cacao so I feel like cacao then led into the sexuality okay, stuff. Okay, you're right, okay, yeah. So I was introduced to cacao about six years ago, um, and then very long story short, in lockdown, a lot of people were like looking for some kind of vice or some kind of like, how the hell are we going to survive this madness? And that's when I really started sitting with cacao, like why do I always feel better when I drink cacao? Why does my heart always feel open? Yeah. Why do I always feel, you know, like full of love? And he- just healthier. Yeah, and just like really good about myself and about life and quite often like if I was you know if I would if I would drink cacao quite a lot of the time I would start to feel you know like quite amorous and you know okay. quite like yeah let's have a little self-pleasure session yeah yeah but still you know there'd just been like a lot of shame around that like there probably is with a lot of women yeah you know like a, a lot of women were either like sort of dead from the waist down, disconnected, don't really have time to think about that stuff. Or when we do, it's like a very quick, you know, like ticking a box. Well, definitely quite, especially in marriage, actually, it's talked about something that you have to do. And da, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, like a duty still rather than something. Yeah. Obligation. Yeah. Yeah. So cacao definitely opened up like my self-pleasure, like practice, and always just made me feel like, ah, oh, you know, like really nice but there's still been like a certain element of like shame attached to it. So that religious conditioning, when yes. it comes to masturbation, it's dirty or just make it very quick and then you just sort of go about yes. your day and you like yeah. forget about it. Because you don't, definitely don't talk yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely don't talk <laughs> yeah. about it. And then I just, I don't know, like it just came into my field that, oh, I started seeing Amy's posts more 
And I feel like things reveal okay. themselves to us, like when we are, you know, when we need Ready, to see them. Yeah. And then I saw that she was doing this training, and I, you know, and she was like, I've got one space left. And you know, you're like, that is my space. Wow. And I don't really know why, but again, as a ma- I'm a manifesting generator in human design. And the way that my energy works best is I'm here to respond to life. So when I see something or, you know, somebody suggests or something comes into my field, I should go, I should move with what moves me. I should move with what lights me up. I did that, like, a six-month practitioner training with her in, like, 2022. And I'm just starting to, like, really weave it. In person or online or both? So um, online, um, but it's quite intensive. So we were doing, like, three sessions a month, practice sessions. So everything that I do with women, I've experienced myself. Yeah. Not just from Amy, but we were, like, partnered up with other women in the group. So we had to do, like, the practice sessions on each other. Um, so I'm only really just starting to like weave that into my work now so like at the moment I'm doing a group coaching program called the woman within and I pull on all of the different strings of the modalities that I have and then one of the things that we do is just a guided self-touch ritual yeah so it depends on who you're working with but you're not going to just go straight into like oh you know we're doing that like internal work and like yeah, going yeah. straight up in there yeah because different people have like so many different experiences of yeah. even like and, and, and hold ups and yeah what sex is yeah trauma not even realizing that they have been like sexually traumatized or sexually conditioned yeah you know and one of the things that i came to realize like through this training was that my like sexual archetype is the performer yeah. Oh, I'll put on a show in the bedroom. Like, oh, I feel that. Like, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. believe, you know, yeah. and the guy's, like, loving life, and yeah. I'm just there, like, I mean, it's all right. <laughs> like, but, like you say, it comes back to the recognition bit, because you're getting the recognition, and I'm with you on that, where you're going, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm doing all of this. doesn't matter what I want. <laughs> He's really happy. So, yeah, it must be right, yeah. You know, and you're arching your back, and you're doing all the yeah. stuff, and, like, it's like, where's your, where's your head at? You know, and one of the things that we learned on this training was, you know, like Amy asked us the question about, you know, like when you are in like sexual union or you're having that sexual experience, like what sort of percentage do you believe should be on your partner's pleasure and what, do you know, do you believe should be on, on yours? And I think I went with something like, you know, like 50-50. I think the general consensus was about 50-50. Because we all thought, you all thought you should say that. Yeah, or, or like yeah. that's just what we believed, you yeah. know, like that we're like, and I think, I don't know whether it was from some study that she'd done or some research, but actually it should be more like 80-20. So 80% of that focus should be on your own pleasure oh, because okay. you should be having sex with somebody that you trust that they are meeting their own, you know, they're able to speak so out their own So they're doing their 80% and yeah. you're doing your own, yeah. And, okay. and you should trust that like, you're not just there to like you know like please that person let's face it blokes and are I, doing 80 percent up and they'll always do what serves them won't they let's be honest about it and actually most of your focus should be on how are you experiencing it yeah does it need to be slower do do you even want to be doing it at all yeah you know and then learning about like the female anatomy and arousal and actually it can take you know up to or longer than 45 minutes for a woman to become like fully aroused and actually when a woman is fully aroused your you know your yoni pussy i like to say but some people are like Ooh, like it's just yeah, like you know so many like, it, negative yeah. connotations um but you know your yoni will have like a sucking in motion it will pull the man in you oh. know it will open and it will draw the man yeah, in yeah. which of course how would be often, pleasurable for him how often have women allowed themselves 
you know, beyond that, you know, we all have that, you know, the sex at the beginning yeah. where you just like wet and ready, you know, it's yeah. like slip and slide, yeah. let's go, like, because you're so turned on. But, you know, like after you've been in that relationship for a while, how often do we actually give ourselves the time and the space to ask, like, what does my body need Want, to reach yeah. the state of arousal that it is ready to pull this man in? Yeah, yeah, okay. Rarely ever. Two final questions that I always ask people. Okay. One, and this might be a little bit tricky, so if you don't want to answer it, there's no problem. What advice would you give to your younger self? Um, not, I don't even know if it's like necessary advice. Just keep trusting, you know, like just stay in your lane, keep trusting your own intuition and it will all be okay like just have faith and just believe that you know as painful as things might be or as difficult and as hard as things might be I believe that life is happening you know life is happening through you it's not happening to you it's not even necessarily happening for you it is happening through you and again I don't know if I've just made this up to make myself feel better about my own life but I genuinely do believe, like, you know, like, the more that we go through, the more experiences that we have, the more trauma, I believe it's because the bigger, the more that we can help others, the more that we can be of service, the more that we can help, you know, like, the collective heal, and the bigger the work that we're here to, to, do. to do. The final question yeah. <laughs> is always life advice, which I feel like you've given loads in this chat. But rather than to your younger self, just to kind of throw out or things you really believe in or you just want to throw out there to women or to men, but just some really powerful mantras, whatever you want to say. I mean, the life advice it is, it's like, you know, when you look back on your life, how do you want to say that you've lived? Yeah. You know, and allow yourself to just be free with that question, like whatever comes up and start to just observe, you know, if you, oh, how do you want to say that you've lived? Oh, well, I want to say that I've, you know, lived on the other side of the world. Or I want to say that, you know, I only work 20 hours a week. Start to then notice instantly what will come in to try and tell you why you can't have that. Oh, yeah, but like, what about your parents are getting older? You need to be here to care for them. You know, oh, but I can't uproot the kids from school. How will I get the money to do it? And then that's where most people get stuck in the starting blocks mm. because we start to think about logic. And there's a really good book actually called The Surrender Experiment. Can't think who it's by. I feel like his name's... Oh, Michael Singer. That's coming oh, in. Oh, well done, yeah. Oh, that just came in, just it needed to. And that book, again, I read that book and, and how he like just surrenders to life and just trusts and says, okay, okay, okay. And just ends up building like this multi-million dollar, you know, like company just from saying like, okay, not because he wow. chose that this is what I'm going to set out to do, but he followed, you know, he followed the breadcrumb trail. And we've always been showing the breadcrumbs of what is next for us, what lights mm. us up. But we try to attach stories to it. We try to, like we're meaning making machines. We have to make everything mean something like, oh, well, I like fresh flowers in my house or, you know oh, does that, does that mean, like, I should be a florist? Does it mean, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, oh, I've had a couple of people say that to me now. Like, does it mean that that's something I should explore? Does that mean that's how people see me? Like, right, yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Just I do, like, yeah. we don't have to make everything mean something. Let it come, let it go. Like, just surrender to, like, what is. And just don't ignore, don't ignore those soul nudges 
don't worry about where they're coming from or why or like the how just trust that if you move one percent in that direction like the rest will just um, bit, um you know like reveal itself um because it will <laughs> brilliant there we go Ta-da! <laughs> thank you very much Natasha. oh no thank you so much If you would like to hear more about this chat, see some pics and read about how to get started in this industry and or this role, then please go to our website, www.thiswomanswork.org. The link is on this podcast page and across our socials. Sincere thanks. Thanks.